Daniel Wilson, and I am one of the pastors here at West. And if you are joining us at Lake Norman High School, welcome. And if you are joining us online, we welcome you also, uh, wherever you are. Uh, Thank you for being with us uh, this morning. Um, It is good to be gathered here in this place for worship. Um, This morning, we are changing gears a bit and are starting a new message series called How to Get Away with Murder. Is it really murder if death does not win? Um, Now, not only is How to Get Away with Murder one of TV's hottest uh, shows on air right now, uh, but for the next four weeks, it's going to help us examine some of these encounters um, with Jesus after the resurrection. Um, And this morning, we are focusing on uh, one particular story. the story of the centurion. And so there's one verse in particular that is, is driving the message this morning, um, and it will be on the screen here. Um, when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and what had just happened, they were filled with awe and said, this was certainly God's son. And the driving point this morning is particularly that one statement, surely This was God's son. Now, in order to understand that one statement and the significance of that one verse, I feel like we have to go back and look at what is happening um, in the bigger picture. So, here this morning, Matthew's account comes from chapter 27. From noon until three in the afternoon, the whole earth was dark. At about three, Jesus cried out with a loud shout, my God, my God, why have you left me? After hearing him, some standing there said, he's calling for Elijah. One of them ran over, took a sponge full of vinegar and put it on a pole and offered it to Jesus to drink. But the rest of them said, let's see if Elijah will come and save him. Again, Jesus cried out with a loud shout. Then he died. Look, the curtain of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised. After Jesus' resurrection, they came out of their graves and went into the holy city where they appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and what had happened, they were filled with awe and said, this was certainly God's son. So this morning, the first Sunday after Easter, we are still talking about Jesus' resurrection. 
We're talking about the resurrection from the perspective of one person, the centurion. Do you ever wonder or or have you ever heard the term centurion? It was a soldier. And and I wondered what a centurion might look like. So we have a picture of what a centurion might look like. See him there with all of his regalia on. A centurion was the, the top office that could be held in the army uh, by a common person in that day. So I want you to put yourself in the shoes of this centurion for just a moment. I invite you to use the movie screen of your mind. Wherever you are, be still. If it helps you to close your eyes and envision, do so. Be comfortable where you are and just envision that you are a centurion soldier. Now, you have reached the highest rank possible. You are over about 100 men. You are leading battles. You are the point person for executions. This has gone beyond a job. This is now your career. This is your life. You hold your sword for just a moment and you think, I am not afraid of anyone or anything. I have perfected my craft. I am who I am. I am doing exactly what I am meant to do. I am a centurion. And then I want you to think about this particular individual and the role he played in the death of Jesus the Christ. You see, it was you, the centurion, who called for the nails to be driven in the hands and the feet of Jesus. Now, you were just doing your job. What you were paid to do. This was, a, this was a, a, a nice living. It's how you provide for your family. You were told that this prisoner that was brought before you was a threat to the Roman Empire. It must be put to death. You were there as he was flogged. You were there as people spit in his face. You were there as he was beaten and tormented. And though there were many people to blame for the death of this person, you were the final stop. It was you that called for the nails to be driven. It was by your order, your command, that they began to hammer those nails. Some might say that you were the last person that could have saved the life of Jesus. But you didn't. You did your job and then you stood there and you watched as Jesus breathed his last breath As he cried out, my God, my God, why have you left me? You watched as he cried out once more, 
And then he died. And then you saw something incredible. Something that has never been seen before. All of these holy people who had been uh, dead, who had died before, suddenly were appearing to other people in the city. Now, this is a fact, a, a, a detail rather. This is a detail that appears in Matthew's gospel, but not others. The centurion still makes the statement in other gospels, surely this was God's son, but it is only in Matthew's gospel where these other holy people have been raised and appear to others. I think that is a, uh, a big detail and certainly plays into what the centurion must have been feeling and thinking at that time. So you've witnessed the death of this person who was believed to be a criminal or who was presented to you as a criminal, charged with treason. He dies and then people come to life. And it's in that moment like the flipping of a light switch that you realize this man really was who he claimed to be. The things that he did, healing of the sick, making the paralyzed walk again, restoring sight to the blind, these were in fact real things. Not magic, not coincidence, but surely this was God's son. Now, this is a place of full transparency. And I want you to know that I struggled with how to bring this full circle into today's time. What I'm about to do may cause some of my colleagues to think that I am nuts. And so I will let you know that ahead of time. Um, the one thing that popped into my brain was the story um, of a great theologian, uh, Buddy the Elf. I think we have a picture of Buddy the Elf. This is Buddy, Buddy the Elf. Um, I do realize that it's springtime. It's almost 70 degrees outside and I'm talking about an elf. Um, but if you know the story of Buddy the Elf, you know that Buddy was a human, but he was raised by elves. And in the movie, we see um, at some point in Buddy's life, Papa Elf and Buddy realize that he's different. And so Papa Elf sends Buddy to visit his real dad that is located in New York City. So Buddy goes off and he tries to acclimate to the city life. And we watch in the movie as Buddy is mistaken for a department store um, figure at Christmas time. He's mistaken for a, uh, a singogram that was sent to an office building. And the whole time, Buddy is trying to prove that he's an elf. He, he knows that he is an elf, but no one believes him. He spends the entire movie with people thinking he is nuts. And then at the end of the movie, Buddy kind of runs away. 
And so his little brother in the movie chases after him, tries to find him. And the little brother finds Buddy in Central Park, where Santa's sleigh has broken down. And Buddy is there helping fix the sleigh. Well, while they're having this interchange of communication in Central Park, um, Buddy, or or Santa, uh, pulls out his book, you know, the naughty and nice book, Um, and he finds the little brother's name and says, you know, this is what you asked for. And instantly, like the flipping of a switch, the little brother realizes that Santa is real, that Buddy really is an elf. And so he takes the, the, the book, the naughty and nice book, goes before a television news crew and begins to read off the names of specific people and what they've asked for for Christmas. And suddenly, other people believe also that Santa is real, that Buddy really was an elf. Now, am I comparing the life of Jesus to the life of Buddy the elf? I suppose I am, sort of. Um, the, the, the point here is that Jesus spent his entire life being with people that were the outcasts. You know, the, the people that society had written off, considered a loss. He tried to prove that he was something different the whole time saying, I am the son of God. No one believed him until the very end of the story. The good news for us is that wasn't the end of the story. When Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you left me? And he breathed his last breath. That wasn't the end of the story. Thanks be to God. Because death did not win. How did they get away with murder? Because Jesus wasn't dead. Death was not the victor in this case. It is my hope and prayer that each and every one of us gathered here have or will experience in their life and in their faith journey a time similar to that of the centurion where like the flipping of a light switch, you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that Jesus is real and that Jesus died for you and for many for the forgiveness of our sins so that when we mess up, when we fall short time and time and time again, that God's love for us remains the same over and over and over. I was reminded of maybe the first time that I felt this this way, uh, this this thing that I have described. Um, I was a teenager, had been on a beach retreat with my youth group, and on the last day, we decided that we would have communion together, standing in, in in the shore of the ocean. And as we stood there in the surf, a pastor a guy by the name of Chris Westmoreland, served us the holy meal. 
And in the United Methodist Church, when we finish receiving the elements of bread and juice or wine, we believe that they should be returned to the earth or they can be consumed. We don't just throw them away, uh, dump them in the trash or dump them down the drain. When we finish celebrating this holy meal together, the elements are either consumed or we return them to the earth. And so as Chris dropped the bread in the water, he also took the grape juice and he dumped it. And as we stood there ankle deep in the surf, I remember very vividly watching that juice wash across my feet and then go back out into the ocean. And for some reason in that moment, Honestly, I began to to feel a little tingly, and I knew, surely, the Son of God died for me. Surely, the Son of God rose from the dead, conquered the grave for me. It is my hope and my prayer that you can find a point in your faith journey where you feel that tingling, where you feel that assurance. John Wesley, the, um, the, the founder of the Methodist movement, shared a story in his diary where he was attending a gathering on Aldersgate Street And they read some scripture and uh, they read a commentary on the book of Romans. And he wrote in his diary that night that after hearing the word proclaimed and the hymns that were sang and being gathered in that community that he felt his heart strangely warmed. He knew, he was confident of his salvation. I hope that each of us feels a heart strangely warmed and can relate to what the centurion felt that day as he stood there in awe and he said, surely that was the Son of God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray together. Almighty God, We thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to be gathered here in this place and to worship you. We thank you for revealing yourself to us in many ways. We thank you for all that you are, all that you do. And we thank you for your son, Jesus, who died on that cross for us. And we thank you for your son, Jesus, who rose so that we might have life forever and ever. Amen. As we go from this place, know that God's love does not fail, does not give up on us, and death did not win, in that we have great hope. Go in peace. Amen.